I have a new first grade student this fall, a younger sibling of another student. Their temperaments and personalities could not be more different, and I feel like I'm still learning how best to relate to the younger brother in his lessons. I'll call him Aaron. Aaron is very smart and artistic, but also has a rebellious streak. Sometimes he'll come into his lesson and say he doesn't want to play the piano, or he'll resist reviewing a concept or a piece from the previous week and give me only a half-hearted attempt. After one particularly challenging lesson, I made a plan to incorporate a few more fun activities the following week. Some movement, creativity prompts, and musical discovery. Little did I know that Aaron would bring all the creative inspiration we needed for a 30-minute lesson. A binder of Pokemon cards. Now, let me just say, the only things I know about Pokemon are... Pikachu is one of the characters, and there was a Pokemon Go stop up the street from our house a few years ago, and we used to see more people than usual walking down the sidewalks on their phones as they played. That's about it. So as we walked down to the classroom that evening for our lesson, I asked Aaron all about the cards he'd collected. Did he have a favorite? Where did he get them? How were they organized? Did they have special powers? By the time we got to the classroom and he sat down at the piano, I thought of a way to connect our conversation to his lesson. Today, I'm going to share an inside look at how I used Pokemon cards for musical activities and inspiration throughout our piano lesson. I'm Ashley Danu, and you're listening to Field Notes on Music Teaching and Learning. Writing field notes is a way of documenting and processing what we see in the world. This podcast is a collection of creative ideas, practical strategies, and thoughtful observations from the field of music teaching and learning. Here, you'll find creative and pedagogically sound teaching tips, fresh new approaches you can use in your teaching, and insight into a few tried and true systems and creative processes designed to help you do your best work. Let's get started. As Aaron showed me his Pokemon cards that evening, I noticed that several of them had names that started with C. This was a great segue into our lesson as we've been working in the C unit of Piano Safari Friends this month. Can you find a Pokemon that starts with the letter C? I asked. He began flipping through the pages. This one, he said, pointing to a card halfway down one page. Cerulege, I said slowly. Great! We took it out of the page protector and placed it on the music rack. Let's play the letter C song for Cerulege. And he did. He was delighted by this. So we looked for a Pokemon that started with a D, then E. And we played songs starting on those keys. First right hand, then left hand, then even hands together. Next on my lesson plan was a follow-the-leader piece called Hide and Seek. This is essentially call and response, and I wanted to start with rhythm chant backs and tap backs, and then playbacks. I noticed that many of the Pokemon characters had three-syllable names, similar to the tall giraffe rhythm, quarter-quarter-half note, that we've been learning in this unit. Look at this one, I said, 
pointing to an orange dragon with a striped belly and turquoise wings. Dragonite, I said in rhythm, pointing to the name. Dragonite, he echoed back. What rhythm does that sound like, I asked. He put his hand to his chin as he thought for a minute, and then said, Tall Giraffe. That's right, I said. I wonder if we can find any other Pokemon names that have the Tall Giraffe rhythm. In case you're wondering, we found Armor Rouge, Cyclazar, and Belly Bolt. This began a game of Aaron pointing to a Pokemon card and me reading the name in rhythm. He would imitate, and then I would ask if it was the same or different as the last one that we had done. If it was different, which rhythm was it? Some had two syllables, like hippo, two half notes. Others had four syllables, like charlie chipmunk, four quarter notes. After our rhythm chant backs, we transitioned to tap backs and playbacks using these same rhythm patterns. I used tonal patterns from the hide and seek piece on my lesson plan. Toward the end of the lesson, I had a creativity prompt on my lesson plan to invite Aaron to improvise a piece about a thunderstorm. It had rained earlier that afternoon. But instead, given the direction of the lesson, I asked him to choose a favorite Pokemon, and we improvised a piece for that character with the card sitting on the music rack for inspiration. As we walked back up to the gallery to meet his dad, I told Aaron that I knew nothing about Pokemon and that he was my expert. He smiled and hugged his Pokemon binder close to his chest. When we reached the top of the stairs, he ran to his dad and told him all about how we used his Pokemon cards at the piano. Now, let's talk about the research behind this. At first, this may seem like a case for play-based learning, and it is. The benefits of play are great. But I also want to explore an adjacent component of learning motivation and engagement. We'll get to that in a minute. The National Association for the Education of Young Children, NAEYC, which includes children up to age 8, by the way, notes that, quote, play develops young children's symbolic and imaginative thinking, peer relationships, language, physical development, and problem-solving skills, end quote. Pretty powerful, right? Researchers indicate that play is a continuum with self-directed play at one end and direct instruction at the other. In the middle is something called guided play, which NAEYC describes, quote, guided play gives educators opportunities to use children's interests and creations to introduce new vocabulary and concepts, model complex language, and provide children with multiple opportunities to use words in context, end quote. Remember that music is also a language, and the learning process is similar. So when you read research that talks about language development or modeling complex language, think about developing a vocabulary of tonal and rhythm patterns, or modeling a complex sequence of patterns, as one might find in a musical phrase. The key statement I want to highlight in that quote is the first part. 
Guided play gives educators opportunities to use children's interests to introduce new vocabulary and concepts. This brings me to the adjacent aspect of learning I mentioned a minute ago. Erin's Pokemon-inspired lesson is an example of something called interest-based learning. John Dewey described this in his 1899 book, The School and Society. He observed that a child's natural, quote, interest in conversation or communication, in inquiry or finding out things, in making things or construction, and in artistic expression are the natural resources, the uninvested capital, upon which depends the active growth of the child. End quote. This is the foundation of interest-based learning, where children actively participate in an activity that is connected to something they're interested in, which provides an opportunity for learning and development. Researchers have indicated that interest-based learning activities can lead to greater competence, increased motivation, and language and communication skill development. According to research by Carl Dunst in 2006, quote, interest-based child participation in everyday activity provides the context for sustained engagement in interactions with people and material. Sustained engagement in turn provides a child the opportunity to practice existing competence and learn new behavior. As part of competence expression and learning, a child has an opportunity to explore the consequences of his or her abilities and to develop a sense of mastery. A sense of mastery, in turn, is likely to strengthen personal interests and transform situationally interesting everyday activity into personal interests. End quote. This is exactly what we hope to achieve in our teaching, right? A natural progression from engagement to reinforcing existing competence, learning new behavior and skills, to developing a sense of mastery. On that note, NAEYC notes the importance of setting children up for success when teaching new skills and concepts. They write, quote, Confronted by repeated failure, most children will simply stop trying. Repeated opportunities to practice and consolidate new skills and concepts are also essential for children to reach the threshold of mastery at which they can go on to use this knowledge or skill, applying it in new situations. Play, especially in intentionally designed environments with carefully selected materials, provides young children with opportunities to engage in this type of practice. End quote. Do you see how connecting to a child's natural interests can provide that hook for engagement? We need to start with what's familiar, with what children already know and like. This is a valuable tool for introducing new ideas and building new understanding. It makes learning new skills and concepts accessible and attainable. I hope this has given you some food for thought on how you might incorporate guided play and interest-based learning activities into your studio with your beginning students. I'm curious, do you use interest-based learning in your teaching as a general practice? I'd love to hear about your experience. Thanks so much for listening today. 
For written notes, related links, and more information on today's topic, visit ashleydanu.com slash fieldnotes. You can find me on Instagram at ashleydanu. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you'd subscribe and leave a review in Apple Podcasts. This will help others discover this content in the future. Plus, I'd love to hear what you like about the show and if there's anything specific you'd like to hear in the future. Again, thanks so much for tuning in today. See you next time. Bye.